You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Stupid. This meeting is being recorded. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so good to have you here on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode. We're going to talk about the Democratic race for the presidency and the primary that's happening there. Harry's not here tonight, but my good friend Levy Rainey is going to join us, and then uh, Ryan Holt will be along after a bit. Uh, So we'll talk about all that and introduce you to Levy here in just a moment, right after this. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Well, Harry is not here with us in person, but he is here in spirit. He just sent me a photograph of him drinking out of a mug that says Trump 2020. So is that foreshadowing? Will Harry defect and become a Trump supporter? Stay tuned on this cliffhanging episode of We Are Libertarians. Harry has a, a party to attend to tonight. I know these all sound like made-up excuses, but really, Harry has stuff to do. And Listen, he's done this show for like five years. He's tired, so we're, we're giving him a break. Reinhold will be along in a bit. He's dealing with work stuff. And uh, should be along here in about 15 minutes. But joining me for the first time, and probably somewhat regularly, depends on how this goes, um is my good friend Levy Rainey from way down Hi. in southern Georgia. Levy was telling me that the only time famous people come to her town is for a d- tornado relief because she <laughs> lives so far south. You live, you actually live really close to Jimmy Carter, though, don't you? Yeah. Um, so the school that I go to, the University in Americas, that's where he's from. So he comes here and gives speeches all the time. I sit next to him. Sometimes, if I'm really lucky, like the booth next to him is a pizza place. <laughs> really? Yeah. How old is he? Like, is he like super Decrepit. old? Looking? Really? Yeah, he's really he's really old, and Americus won't let him die. Um, <laughs> I know he's tired. He's so tired, but he he speaks all the time here at school, and uh, he got cancer or something uh-huh. a year or two ago, and everyone was like rallying for him. And I was just thinking, like, maybe he wants to just pass in peace, <laughs> but we won't let him die. <laughs> Good. Congratulations uh, yeah, on so your one him alive. on one claim to fame. So, Levy, you've listened to the show since you were what age? Um, <laughs> I think I was either 17 or 18. That was right when I started school. I know. Doesn't that make you feel old listeners that this show is so old that people weren't, they weren't able to buy cigarettes when they started listening to this program. It makes me feel old. You're, uh, <laughs> I added you to the, to the co-host chat and, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get your opinions of that in a moment of the other co-hosts. Um, but I've wanted to have you on the show for a while because you listen to the show, you understand the show, you and I are good friends. And so you give me crap. You're funny, but you're also curious about politics and ask a lot of good questions. And so that's part of, you know, what, what you're here to do is ask questions and not let people like Reinhold, Harry and I get too far ahead of ourselves. So we make sure that people understand what we're talking about. But uh, we added you to the chat, and I made your nickname Arvin Bait, and we told everybody that you were 15, and everybody was on their best behavior for like six hours. It was so funny. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that they, they believed you, um, honestly, because I was ugly when I was 15. You really were. You were... T- oh, my God. No, I'm not going to lie to so you. I was so ugly. Yeah, I was. I was really ugly, but... Guys, she had this. Yeah. She just discovered this profile picture on her email that she's been. Oh no, it's still up there. It's still up there. I logged into. Oh, okay. I'll I think. I there. think I need to post this to the wall Instagram. It, it's it, really good. <laughs> I can. Find I made this email when I was twelve, 
and I took a like a selfie with the webcam on the computer and I didn't realize that it was still the profile picture for this email and I have been using it um well, since I was 12, and Here. so I logged in the other day. If oh you, my god! Oh my god! If you go to the YouTube, oh if you go to the YouTube, I, then you can see the picture. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yep. What I is it? Realize, what is it about? Because you're a ginger. You're like you're not like I'm. I'm a day. I'm what's called a day walker, where I'm. I'm kind of red tinted, but like you're a full red headed ginger. Like, what is it about gingers yeah. when they're younger that they look so? Y'all look so weird. Uh, oh no, I. Some I wonder if it's like before makeup, honestly. I'm gonna be real with you, before you know how to like make the best of the situation. <laughs> the best I'm of- just gonna be honest. <laughs> Sounds like you have a terminal disease. Some would say so. <laughs> <laughs> you showed me your makeup routine, it's like a an hour and a half. Yeah, I yeah, it is. It takes a lot of effort to be this cute. <laughs> it doesn't come easy. It does not come easy, but it's worth it. Well, uh, you can follow Levy on Instagram if you're not a creep and you're not allowed to message her. You're not allowed to get in her DMs. You're not allowed to talk to her the way that the creeps talk to Trisha. You're not allowed to talk to Trisha that way. But uh, if people want to follow you, then they can do that. How? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Levy Rainey. So All right. easy to find. Cool. Um, so, Levy, you are, are you a libertarian? Like, How do you describe yourself politically? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I do describe myself as libertarian, but I I would say that I'm more driven by my faith than I am. Like I found, I find my identity more so there than I do the politics. Uh, libertarian just sort of supports that, and it, I feel like it's a tool in my belt. So mm-hmm. it just makes sense to me, and I feel like it gives me the most freedom to act, you know, as I want. So when did you do? When did you discover libertarianism, and why did you think oh, I might be one? Um, oh, I feel like this is going to say, I don't think I was ever, I never had like a big transformation. Um, I grew up in a Republican household, you know, always Fox News on, but my older brother Clark got really into uh, politics when he was younger and he read a lot and there's a lot of libertarian books always around. And so from a young age, I knew about it and uh, he would talk to me about it, but I don't think it was until I was like 17 and I knew I was going to have to start voting that I'd sort of... You know, started doing more research, and then I found your podcast. So I feel like it's just been, I don't know, a slow progression. Yeah. I don't think I ever wasn't a libertarian, honestly. How would, so how would you describe yourself now? Uh, I, I just don't, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm sort of moderate. Like, I, I'm not super into politics. I'm... But I do think they're necessary, so I try to learn what I need to learn, but I don't think it's, like, my passion in life. I feel like you're curious, and you don't know, like, you're kind of disinterested, but you're not. Like, you're right on the cusp. Yeah. You feel like most people to me. Yeah, I I would say that I'm a good representation of most people. I mean, I know that it's it's necessary, but that's, that's about it. Yeah. What were some of those books that he always had laying around? Oh, he always, oh, what are, what are some? Honestly, I, my mind's going blank right now, but any any of the standards that you had, like he literally had hundreds of books. Really? So, oh, yes. Was he a nerd? Oh, yes. Yeah. No. Oh. No. He's not. He's a cowboy. He's not a nerd, but he's very smart. So you, you grow like you're cowboy. such a you are, you know, a young female. So you like skew progressive and liberal kind of culturally, but yeah. you also mm-hmm. grow up like. I jokingly call oh, you. Oh, I ew. It's everything. It's everything. Yeah, you're my yeehaw correspondent. Like, there's a boot barn, boot barn going in across the street, and I was like, "Hey, there's a boot barn going in," and you're like, "Yeehaw, yee, get one." <laughs> and like, but you grew up. You live in this super conservative small town. Mm-hmm. Super conservative. I mean, I think we may have actually done. You've been on the show, right? Was it a daily? Yeah, it, it was before the um, the governor election. Oh, that's right. So, down in yeah. Georgia. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about the tension, but let's revisit it. The tension that you sort of feel like being, all right, I'm I'm a young, liberal-leaning female, but libertarian, but also conservative. I mean... Yeah, I feel like it's just, I, I have a little bit of everything because I grew up very conservative, and um, but I'm also an art major. So I am in the art department, 
And most people in the art department are from Atlanta or more urban areas, uh, very liberal, uh, but we're seated in this very country, very conservative, some would say backwards <laughs> place. And so it's, it's, I have this weird combination of all of the pieces. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not strictly one thing. Is it super Trumpy there? Yes. Uh, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is uncommon, but um, I know that people will like paint boards and put them on posts and mount them in their yard. Not like a permanent sign, like Trump sign. They'll make a permanent board and say Trump on it and it'll live in their yard for the entire presidency. So is it's that been normal? A, I feel like it is. I feel like if you go to rural Indiana, it's not that much different than like where you're living. Okay. So, yeah, that's very common here. Um, a lot of like Trump flags flying behind a, a big truck. So Yeah, the only time I've ever triggered you, I think, which is why one of the reasons we oh, get no. along so well is when um, <laughs> when I mentioned Sherman burning the South. You still... Oh, I can't go there. I can't. It's, <laughs> ooh, it gets me mad. <laughs> it's so sad. We didn't deserve it. Okay. <laughs> See, I told you. It's Let like us a seat. no triggers whatsoever, but you mentioned Sherman marching. It. Bittner used to be the same way. He was from Marietta. And you'd say Sherman marching towards the south. be like, listen, that piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> you Georgians are really mad about this. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like I grew up being mad. So what was that coat that just ran into the frame? What? Oh, it's your oh, dog. Oh, that's my dog. It's my dog. Oh. Casey Musgraves. <laughs> named after the country singer Casey Musgraves. <laughs> it's a cute dog. She's really cute. Yeah. She can be loud, though. So, Well, we'll get through it. My cats are r- s- trying to, to plot a strike now. Um, <laughs> so what do you think of Donald Trump? Um, he, he gives me, like, the shivers as a woman. He makes me very uncomfortable. Um that's just, you know, those gut instincts that women have. He triggers all of those. So that's just as a human, that's how he makes me feel. Uh, I don't think he's as bad as some of the people say, but I also think he's terrible. So it's just a general dislike. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really care. I've gotten to the point where I kind of want it all to burn. <laughs> I don't care. So I don't know. I don't even have specific opinions. That's sort of where I'm at. It's like, I don't want to give him the oxygen because if you, you know, you'll meet Reinhold once he joins us and, and I'll talk about him because he's not here. He, he's, he's so anti-Trump and he's got Trump derangement syndrome as I joke with him because it, it really does make him mad when you say that, I think. But like, he's like, any Democrat would be better than Trump at this point. I'm like, you really think that Bernie Sanders would be better than Donald Trump? Like, see, I don't, I don't think that. Um, so I don't know what you call that, but I don't think uh, any of the Democratic candidates are a better solution. Delusional is what you call it. Like, there's uh, <laughs> at least we know that you know Donald Trump is bad in a lot of areas. He's okay in things like regulation and and possibly courts, but like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna zombie our way through a Trump second term. But like Bernie Sanders is an unknown. I mean, that guy's just a a grifter too. It's so we'll talk about this once he he gets here. But I'm sort of in the same place where it's like Donald Trump doesn't. I don't have a reaction to him anymore. Like I think, and yeah. I feel if America got to that place, he'd lose a lot of his power if we just all kind of shrug our shoulders a little bit. Like uh, with all politicians, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. well, um. Levy is talking into an ATR2100, which is an excellent microphone that was gifted by uh, several different uh, people through our Amazon wish list, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com slash support. Um, and by the way, I should mention if you are getting a bunch of weird notifications uh, and a thousand publications to the website, that's because I, I mess things up and I'm having to redo a thousand posts. It's my own personal hell. I don't know what I was thinking, uh, so I apologize <laughs> if you're if you're affected by that. Um, but it'll work out great in the end. It'll be so nice and organized. But uh, she's talking into an ATR twenty one hundred that was donated by uh, people like Craig DeCosta or Jason Doolittle. She's on a webcam that was bought with patron money. 
She got a a neat tripod too. You got you got a whole care package. You a got whole about set up. Yeah, you got like two hundred dollars worth of equipment, and that's only possible because of our patrons. And so, if you are one of those patrons, then uh, thank you so much for helping give Levy all of this equipment. Levy, thank everyone. Thank you so much. I really appreciated the care package. Yeah. So she uh, she opened it up and she went, "What does all this do?" Yeah, you're kind of learning. You're 22, 22, and you're like a boomer with technology. What is it with you, Zoomers, that you don't know anything about technology? I I don't know. I oh my gosh, (laughs) my dog. (laughs) Well, um, I personally am not a fan of technology. Wow, this is going to be an issue. (laughs) I I do ceramics, and I am far removed from technology. I my hands are in clay all day. You know? Yeah. So she literally was like, okay, where do I plug this? And she had the XLR plug into the microphone. And I'm just like, what? So, okay. All right. Let's start. <laughs> let's go to the basics. This is a microphone. Uh, so, but thank you to, thank you to all of our patrons for helping us out. If uh, I just financially could not carry all the burden of doing this podcast and, and the 105 of you who give on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, you guys really make it possible for us to continue to do this. We uh, we're just we're really close to finishing the branding, so we've got a new logo coming. Brian Nichols will get a new logo, uh, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to have um, maybe some new shows joining the network very soon. Got a lot that I'm working on behind the scenes that is not out in front of you folks yet, and all that is possible because of our patrons. And uh, we thank you guys so much. Uh, what is happening over there? All I heard I'm was so giggle. Sorry. I'm so sorry. My dog is a crackhead. I look down and it, like this giant poodle looking thing is just I'm laying so on sorry. top of her face. It's not very professional. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're not professional here. Um, so thank you to all of our patrons. And we want to thank our $100 a month uh, patrons specifically in Ed Brehob. Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Jason Doolittle, um, Christy Avery, and Craig DaCosta. And I want to thank our $25 folks as well. You guys give generously to, and that is Stone Aldridge, Andrew Bowman, Paul Jonathan Eads Jr., Ryan Lindsay, Liberty Memes, yes, that Liberty Memes, Ray Wolf, Mario E., Reinhold, Catherine Iverson, Richard, Michael Schulteis, Joshua Sexton, Jake and, Jacob Klingensmith, Rick Irvine, Carly Ernst, Brandon Kester, Dan Dunbar, Christopher Brokoff, and uh, Azamadius. Uh, thank you, Todd, for being a patron. And, and I want to just also thank everybody who's written in, all of you who have uh, taken the time to write a letter in. I sent out an email soliciting, as I've been doing on the show, saying, hey, if, if you appreciate the show, please just send us an email and let us know what you think. And many of you filled out the survey, wrote a letter in. If you'd also be generous and and leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or uh, the Google Podcast app, that'd be great. Um, I found out that we've actually been hitting, we're like in number 40 for news commentary. Um, We're in the new and noteworthy actually for news commentary on Apple Podcasts, which is a fairly big deal. And uh, so we're very excited about that. And our buddy Jake Baldwin wrote in, and he wrote one of these listener letters, like you can, at editor at wearelibertarians.com. And Jake writes, Dear Chris Spangle, I began listening. i got to move this little thingy. Uh, I began listening to the show because of your friendship with Jeff Vibbert and Caitlin Kopetsky, but have kept listening as a way to actually learn about politics. Definitely got to say the, quote, fluff and humor are also a big factor in my continued listening. Because you just straight plain old politics, because just straight plain old politics is too boring, and I'd rather listen to static than just bland talking heads. And so we thank Jake for writing in. And in that survey, several people said, ah, just quit with the 20 minutes of talk beforehand. Uh, just get to the information. And I don't do that because I want you to take a little bit of time to get to know Levy, to get to know Reinhold, to get to know me or, or Harry or. Uh, Brian Nichols or Jeremiah and the Boss Hog crew whenever they're on because I want you to understand that we're real people talking about politics and it becomes a little more entertaining just as it is for Jake than it is if you tune into the 538 podcast where it's just some 
boring journalist talking about some of this stuff. So that's why we do it. But we put in uh, the timestamps so you can fast forward through that first 15 or 20 minutes and just get right to the content. But it's a lot better than in the early days. When you started listening, Levy, we were droning on for hours without ever getting to anything of substance. Yeah, I would listen on my commute uh to school, which is about 35 minutes, and I would make it about an eighth of the way through the podcast. I remember <laughs> being very confused on who was who. Right. Um, but look, you're professional now. I'm proud. I mean, professional is a strong word, but I appreciate it. Yeah, we're <laughs> listen, we are, um, we are in an election year, which means people are really curious about stuff, and our listenership in 2015 was like 2,500 people an episode. And by the, by the early 2017, it was 10,000 people an episode. And so it's been a significant jump every presidential year. And then it kind of holds steady. So we got to, we got to bring our a game through 2020 and early 21, because that's when people are really curious about the stuff. And if we're going to ask them for their time, then I want to make sure that we take it really seriously. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I've just come to that epiphany and tried to be a little more uh, Nick Sarwark at the last national convention goes, yeah, it seems like you guys have been a little more professional about things, and it looks like you're talking about stuff that really matters. I'm like, thanks, Nick. <laughs> um, all right, so let us talk about the Democratic primary and let's uh, how much do you know about the Democratic candidates? Are you following this at all? Um, I know just the generals. Um, I know that Bloomberg has the uh, NDAs with several women. Um, <laughs> you know, I just I just know like the basic things on Twitter. All right, so give us the basic things on Twitter version of this race. Um, okay, I know that uh, Elizabeth Warren is Pocahontas. That's what I know from <laughs> okay. Twitter. Um. What is what is Bernie Sanders thing? I feel like he what is communism. Does he have a good, I mean, yeah, but does he have a good zippy name to him? You know, no. Uh, his, Trump calls him crazy Bernie, but I don't feel like there's there's it doesn't no stick. It yeah. didn't stick. No. Okay. Honestly, that probably about about covers it. Do you know anything about Pete Buttigieg? Nope. And, I just learned how to say his name the other day when me and my brother were talking about him. He's a big fan. You didn't mention Joe Biden, the front runner. For so oh, long. creepy Uncle Joe Biden? Heck no. I <laughs> No. Have you heard the name Tom Steyer? No. Amy Klobuchar? Yes. Okay. And then uh, Tulsi Gabbard? Yes. All right. So they're the ones that are running. And let's, let's go through their ages, just because I, I find this remarkable. Joe Biden, 77, and looks every bit of that. Michael Bloomberg is 78 years old, which I was really surprised to find out he was almost 80. He seems very spry. Pete Buttigieg is 38, as is Tulsi Gabbard. Amy Klobuchar is 59, um, which I was surprised by. She seems younger. Elizabeth Warren is 70. Tom Steyer is 62. And Bernie Sanders is 78. So we have three of the, basically the top three candidates are nearly 80 years old white men, um, what, what's your stance on white males, Levy? Oh, um, they have all the power. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, all right. Speaking of what old white men with all the power, Reinhold is finally <laughs> joining us. When I think of powerful white men, I think of Reinhold. How are you, Reinhold? I am doing well, but have no power. I can guarantee you that, <laughs> or I would have been here on time. That's okay. That's okay. We were we're just getting to know Levy, and you showed up at the exact right moment, right as we were about to start talking about the Democrats uh, in the race. I'm sure it's more interesting to find out about her than listen to my old <laughs> opinions. But I don't know, Levy. What? How would you rate yourself on that first twenty minutes? I would give myself a one and a half out, out of, of ten. Uh, out of ten. I think it was yeah. better than a one and a half. I mean, it was at least a 3.5. Uh, oh, I love the honesty. I'm just kidding. No, you. it was great. Uh, so <laughs> so here's where we're at with the race. The uh, there's Vox broke it down into three phases. And so we're in phase one right now. We're, we're going to end by 8 p.m. tonight, so this will not be terribly long. But we're just kind of giving you, uh, dipping our toe in the water. We talked a lot with Rob Cortell about this race, and there's some nuggets in that episode 390 there that you can listen to. 
Um, but we wanted to give you a little bit more structural information about what's happening, where things are going next. And we're in phase one, as Vox states, the early states, this all-important opening salvo of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, um, only have about 4% of the total pledge allocated delegates, uh, 155 delegates, which is not a lot. It's a very small amount of the population voting, but it's all about momentum. And that is where Bernie Sanders has excelled. He barely squeaked out in Iowa and New Hampshire. He had a decisive victory in Nevada. And uh, nobody really knows what's going to happen in South Carolina on Saturday. That is Joe Biden's firewall, as it is called. And typically, whenever there's a candidate in a race like Rudy Giuliani, for instance, this is my firewall state. I think it was South Carolina, maybe. In the 2008 race, it, it never works. That firewall always gets completely obliterated by the snowball that a candidate gets when they get that momentum in that first phase. And then we go into phase two. And in phase two, that's Super Tuesday and the mid-March contests. On March 3rd, Super Tuesday and its 15 contests are when the presidential race shifts into a true national primary. A total of 1,344 delegates will be allotted on Super Tuesday alone, about 33% of the total, and 11 more state contests are up for grabs on March 10th and March 17th. By the time March 17th rolls around, around 61% of the delegates will be allotted, which then moves us into Phase 3, the slog. We could either have a pretty good sense of who the nominee will be by mid-March, or the primary could be contested still, as it was in 2016. You'll remember Indiana in uh, both the Hillary-Obama race in 2008, and then again in 2016 for the Republicans versus Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. Indiana mattered, and that's in late May. That's in early May, excuse me. And uh, it's very rare for Indiana to ever matter in a presidential race on their primary, but it's happened. It does happen, and that's part of the long slog. Uh, The contest to decide the winner will happen from March 18th to June 6th. Those three months will be when the remaining 39% of the delegates will be allotted. The most important day in this stretch is April 28th when New York and Pennsylvania, among others, uh, vote. Now, when we talk about delegates, who are the delegates? You get the pledge delegates. At the district level, that's 2,591 delegates. At large, across the party, 898 delegates. Party leaders at the state and local elected officials, 490. So the pledge delegates to each of the, that are attached to the candidates, 3,979 delegates. And then there's automatic superdelegates, people who show up to vote at the convention, and that is DNC members, 445, Democratic members of Congress, 280, Democratic governors, 24, and party leaders, 22. That's 771. So if you have a, a close race in the pledge delegates, which is some are, are saying, let's say it's Bloomberg versus Bernie, and then the automatic superdelegates show up, that 771 could be decisive, which is where people are freaking out that Bernie will have it stolen from him again. So... That is kind of the lay of the land. Levy, was any of that surprising to you? I mean, was there anything in there that you're like, oh, now that makes sense? I'm going to be honest. I had a government class last (laughs) semester, and I learned a lot of stuff I feel like I should have already known being 21 at the time. So I feel like I'm generally familiar with that, but not not to those details. So Excellent. Good to go. We want to... Uh, when's Georgia? Georgia looks like March 25th you will go and vote. Um, mm-hmm. So do you vote in a primary or do you, or do you vote in a Republican or no, Democrat? I haven't. Okay. Yeah. So um, as it stands now, Bernie is picking up all the momentum. And so our, our young friend Ryan Lindsay, Reinhold, so young, so passionate, yet so young, was saying, oh, no, Biden – I mean, he's in it till he's in it till South Carolina. I'm like, there's no way. If you get through these first three states and you have no showing, everybody starts to attach themselves to the winner. Bernie, a month ago, nobody thought that Bernie. Yeah, he could be the nominee, and yeah, he's got some momentum, but he was kind of low rated in terms of yeah, he could carry the standard in November. But everybody loves a winner, Reinhold, and now all of a sudden people are starting to flock to Bernie, and he's got this momentum. 
how much of an uh, of a chance do you think there might be that Bernie will be the nominee going into the fall against Donald Trump? I would say about a ten percent chance. Really? Who who do you yeah. you think that it's it's his momentum right now is hollow? Well, he won New Hampshire, but at a lower he got lower fewer votes than he did in twenty sixteen. He won he came in second in Iowa. And he did really, really good in, in Nevada, but there were reasons why he did good in Nevada. He worked really hard in certain areas, and he put a lot of time and effort in there. But if you look at what's happened since then, he's given a couple of interviews that didn't turn out too well. Um, Biden had a good showing by coming in second and getting some delegates and uh, did better at the, did good at the debates. So when you start looking at the polling for, for South Carolina – the trend that Biden was still Biden was still kind of leading, but he was a little bit the margin had shrunk. Mm-hmm. But in the past three days, that's widened again. Biden's gone up and Sanders has gone down. I don't really see. So normally I wouldn't think that he has a chance in South Carolina just because, first of all, the, gov- the governor of South Carolina has pretty much endorsed anybody but, but Bernie. And it's a very conservative state. So even the Democrats are really leery of the left of the party and, the, and, and social Democrats and progressives and that sort of thing. So uh, he's got a tough road to go there, but the only thing it might save him from, you know, to make it close, I think is there's no Republican primary. So you get all these people who are going to go, well, I can go vote in the Democratic and I can try to get the guy who I think that Trump's going to be easy to beat. So they may go and try and vote in, you know, vote for Biden, for uh, for Bernie then. Right. He doesn't but seem I, to I be, he doesn't seem in any of these wins uh, to be activating new voters. He seems, the, the you know, I saw Howard Dean bragging on uh, Jake Tapper that he was, oh, it's good for Bernie because he's activating parts of the Democratic Party, but Okay, well, you've got the Democratic Party showing up, but you're not activating new voters like Barack Obama did in Nevada in 2008, right. 2012, which is yeah. really what you need to beat Donald Trump. Now, he did well in Nevada with getting the um, the Latino vote and some of the other, you know, the, the union vote, even though the culinary union came out against him, um, he still won a lot of the union vote, right? So the, the actual members still ch- ch- uh, ch- decided to go with him anyway. But I don't think a lot of the Bernie's support, it's almost like kind of the way with Trump is, where he has a base support, and I don't see that shrinking, but I don't see that going up either, right? It stays pretty solid. So I think you're going to see 35% of the delegates going to Bernie, and the rest of them are going to be split between four other people, and you're going into a broker convention, Mm -hmm. at which point then you're looking at superdelegates getting the vote. And I don't see the superdelegates giving it to Bernie. Um, for him to get the nomination, he has to come in with between 45% of the vote or over 50. Right. Right. I don't, I don't see him getting it any other way. Yeah, so National Review uh, posted a summary of a 538 article. That's where we're at with journalism. But 538 is sort of the big amalgamation of everything. Um, so they say that uh, Buttigieg just has a 0.8% chance of winning a plurality of pledged delegates. Um, let's see. Klobuchar and Warren are in about as bad of a position. Warren has a 2% chance of winning a plurality. Klobuchar has a 0.1% chance of winning. Um, Bernie Sanders, est- they estimate he has a 70% chance of winning a plurality of delegates. And the man most likely to stop him from winning the nomination is Joe Biden. Uh, he has an 18% chance of winning a plurality of delegates, and while Bloomberg has a 9% chance, that probably overstates the billionaire's ability to edge out Sanders in a head-to-head competition. Uh, Sanders is running 15 points ahead of Bloomberg in a national head-to-head. Biden is running only four points behind Sanders. So it is interesting to me. Now, now Biden is supposed to do well on Super Tuesday with states like Levy's down in Georgia, Arkansas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, Virginia. Um, Sanders will win California, Colorado, Maine. But the problem... Powerful relief. Oh, sorry. That was uh, an ad from a website. 
So, I mean, Biden seems to be very, I mean, he yesterday saying, you know, I'm running for Senate. He looks very weak. That's, it seems like, uh, if you're a Democrat, that has to be a really crummy choice between well, one of those they, three guys. They brought up an interesting thing too, is that Biden's or, uh, Sanders has never really been the front runner. Mm-hmm. Right. So now he's the front runner. Well, guess what's going to happen? He's going to get the special treatment. He's going to get all of the stuff that he had in his past getting thrown at him from all sides to take him down. It's going to get ugly, and there's a lot of stuff in the past for him to get caught up on. So, so just le- just this last just this interview he had in 60 Minutes, he had two really kind of big glaring faux pas in there, which were uh, gaffes. Uh, one was saying that there was something good about Castro. Um, when he took over, he created the illiteracy program. Uh, and then there's, uh, what else was there? Um, oh, then they asked him how he was about his Medicare for all plan and how, how much it was going to cost, how much it's going to pay. And he couldn't answer the question. He said, I don't know how much it's going to cost. Nobody knows how much this stuff is going to cost. We're just going to do it. Right. And nobody's, I mean, that's not what people want to hear. Right. At least Elizabeth Warren had the guts to say to our face, Mm -hmm that her plan was going to cost $50 trillion. So, Levy, do you know any... You're kind of in the age bracket of the average Bernie supporter. Do you know anything about Bernie Sanders' past? Like, what have you heard? Uh, I don't think I do. Um, Yeah, I don't know anything about his past. So I know, like, a lot of people in the art department are very supportive of, of Bernie, so... Well, so being an art department, they may not find any of this troubling, but let me ask you... If uh, I told you that Bernie Sanders honeymooned in the uh, Soviet Union, praised Soviet Russia as it was finally in 1989 coming into the dream of 1917 and fulfilling its communist desires, if I told you that he has consistently praised uh, Fidel Castro, Daniel, uh, is it or it's not Ortega? That's the taco guy, right? Uh, who's the guy that just endorsed him? Who's the socialist leader from South America, Reinhold? Daniel Ortega, I think. Uh, yeah, it's Ortega. Yeah, okay. So Ortega is a, a socialist dictator in Southern America. He refused to say anything uh, negative about Maduro last year and has, on multiple occasions, um, praised the dictator of Venezuela, both Hugo Chavez and Maduro. He said that uh, the, the American-backed Guido, who is now the leader there, is not actually the leader. It's actually um, uh, Maduro, the the dictator that is responsible for the misery in Venezuela that you see. He the is empanada eater. The empanada eater. He is uh, consistently anti-Israel. He is accused of being anti-Semitic by people like Ben Shapiro for constantly uh, campaigning with people like Linda Sarsour, who is an anti-Semite. I mean, just frank, being frank with you. I mean. That's just the tip of the iceberg because Bernie Sanders uh, spent the first forty years of his life. People, people in um, in his twenties and thirties would go to his apartment. They weren't sure if he had electricity. He was uh, an avowed communist. He got kicked out of a communist uh, commune. What? He got kicked out of a communist commune for not working hard enough. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't have a salaried job until he became the mayor of Burlington at thirty nine years old. He, okay, I knew none of this. He li- I want to know how he, how did he make the leap to mayor from from where he was at? Because he had he had a TV show. He would he would record all these kooky little VHS tapes that went around kooky little Burlington, and he became somewhat of a local celebrity because he would do all these pro communist, pro socialist videotapes, and which if you don't think the Trump campaign is going to dig up, you're crazy. And they're going to run like mad because uh, Bernie not, Sanders. Trump's not going to have to because Bloomberg and Biden and <laughs> right. Klobuchar and they're all Warren's going to do it too. I mean, they're all going to yeah. just attack him. So the, the, this man didn't have a job and didn't have a steady income until he was 39 years old and has lived off the government dole basically since then. If you look at his beliefs at 20 and you look at his beliefs at 80, they're exactly the same. Now, you probably at 17 and 22 have completely different beliefs. But somehow, Bernie Sanders is praised by his supporters for being consistent his entire life 
when, okay, well, all the crazy bat stuff insane that you were saying about communism and Russia and the USSR when you were 30 years old and all of these tapes, you still believe all that? Oh, no, no, I don't. Uh, uh, so your consistency goes out the window. This man has three homes. He has uh, a home in Washington, D.C. He has one in Vermont, and then he has a, a camp in Vermont that he goes to, a summer retreat, like most people do. Uh, he's he's in the 1% that he continually, he's a millionaire. He rails against that continually. Um, this is his past. What do you think of Bernie Sanders now, Levy? I had no idea of any of that. So that's uh, that's very confusing for me, honestly. Yeah. Do you do you think that it is going to help or hurt him that he praised Soviet Russia? It's obviously going to hurt him if he if it doesn't I'm going to be um even more confused. Right. So, Reinhold, I I think people like Levy where this is not trickled down to them yet and it starts hitting them. He's in serious trouble if he's the nominee, which is why people like James Carville and Chris Matthews are going, is everybody losing their mind? Are we going to really reelect Donald Trump in a, in a 1972 landslide? Like, I don't know. Did you follow the Nixon? Uh, was it Nixon and Mondale in 72? It was... Walter Mondale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nixon won in an, in an absolute landslide, just as Barry Goldwater lost in a landslide to LBJ in 64, although the Kennedy assassin, assassination played into that. But, you know, Mondale, uh, the, uh, you know, um, uh, Barry Goldwater, like these were candidates that were just painted as lunatics by their opponents who were lunatics too, like, there's no doubt about it that LBJ and Richard Nixon and Donald Trump are absolute lunatics. But I'm waiting. I'm more waiting for the 1968 Democratic convention to re, re to reappear, basically. So and why? We're gonna why go is into, that? Well, we're going to go into a broker convention. So there's going to be a lot of people, especially uh, Bernie people, who are going to be very upset. So there's going to be protesting. There's going to be a lot of. Um, emotions are going to be running high. And I don't know if you guys remember the 68 convention, but there were, there were protests outside because they didn't think that the uh, nominee who was going to win was, uh, was progressive enough. He, he wasn't against the war enough. Uh, they ended up having a lot of tussles with the police. The mayor daily is in Chicago. Mayor Daly decided to try to, you know, stamp, stamp down on the, on the protest and ended up causing a few, um, altercations, as we say, uh, so it got it got pretty uh, pretty interesting. It's, it's a it's an interesting history to go back and look at that convention. Yeah, because the reality is that a lot of Bernie Bros are violent people. The the Antifa crowd are mostly so. It's like I'm not going to say that it's every Antifa person's a Bernie person and every Bernie person's an Antifa person, but I think for the shorthand for people to try and understand, like. In that debate, Pete Buttigieg was basically saying to Bernie Sanders, like, why is it that most of the vitriol spews from your campaign supporters? And he said, I think it's the Russians. It's not my people. And then one of his campaign staffers basically got outed on Twitter saying horrible things about other candidates. Um, but was it, who was it that said, somebody show me uh, a Bernie supporter being violent? And then the person who was the senator who was shot spoke up and said, I can think of one. Oh, yeah. Steve Scalise was shot by a Bernie supporter. Yeah. 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 I can't remember who it was who put the initial tweet out that, you know, made the claim that there had been no Bernie, any any violence from any Bernie supporters. Wow. Yeah. So it is uh, the, the reality is that you may be right because so Levy. The the reality is that because there are several weak candidates in this field, you could end up in a situation in the in the convention where you have um, one one person may come out of the primaries, but two or three may go into the convention with delegates, and it may be decided by those super delegates, the party structure officials, the establishment, and Bloomberg and. 
and Bernie may be fighting it out. They may go in there and Bloomberg may convince everyone of the truth, which is I can win independent voters and crazy communist Bernie can't. So select me. He gets selected. And then all of a sudden the Bernie bros light Milwaukee on fire because they had the nomination stolen from their guy again. I mean, do you find the Bernie bros that you, you have contact with in the art department are are a little – are they ready to riot? Are they ready to rage against the machine? I mean, I think I'm surrounded by people who aren't informed. Uh-huh. You know, you just hear the highlights of what sounds good to you and, you know, free college. And you want to be progressive because it's such a stylish thing to do right. these days. And so it's, you know, you want to be on, like, the right side of history. I think that's what so many people do, but they don't actually know any of his history or what he actually stands for. So I don't think – I can't think of any of my people – that would want to riot because I don't think they would know what they were rioting over. Right. I mean, Reinhold, you, uh, you, I don't, I mean, you weren't a kid in 68, were you? I don't, did you have any recollection of like, I was, I was two in 68. So I don't remember that much. I do remember Nixon resigning, but that's one of my earlier memories. Okay. So you don't have any frame of reference. Like you can't say, yeah, they weren't politically connected either. They were just ready to riot. No, it was, it, they, they were very politically involved back in the, so in the sixties and seventies, people were very politically involved a lot more than they are now. Right. It, it was, it was a, a big deal, especially because of the war. I mean, people, the Vietnam really got a lot of people incensed and upset and, I find it kind of ironic that we are in a war that's longer and bloody and just terrible in scope and size, multiple wars, and people are like, eh. Yeah. So, so you really, so let, let me go back to it. You really think that Biden has a shot? Yep. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he is going to win. I, I just think that he's not done. Uh, see, here's what's the thing. If it was Bernie and one other person, like it was in 2016, when it was Bernie and Hillary pretty much right out of the gate, there was, uh, you know, nobody else really stood a bunch of a chance. Bernie lost because Hillary, there's enough anti-Bernie sentiment in the party that they're not going to let him win. But now that we've got three or four or five kind of candidates that are splitting up that uh, we don't want Bernie vote then once you get into convention and everybody starts combining those delegates back together you're going to find someone rise to the top somebody's going to make it and i don't know who that's going to be uh bloomberg's been falling off he he got a big ad buy got his numbers up and then he went in the debate and he just tanked yeah right um so his numbers have fallen off so people are like well okay he bought himself an attention some attention but he's not going to get himself the nomination through it but uh, and Steyer is probably going to come in third in South Carolina. Really? So he's going to try and use that. Yeah, he's worked hard, and he, his wife has actually been there, has a house there now, or uh, <laughs> renting a house there or something like that. Uh, she's been there for months. So right. there's a big push for him in South Carolina. So he'll probably come in third. Um, so I, I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't think the normal rules apply in this case. I don't think Bernie – Everybody's trying to make Bernie out to be uh, on the go and he's got the rise and he's got everybody's coming together and it's his time. And I just don't think that's I think that's a narrative that's trying to be sold. The numbers don't show it. Yeah. So before I ask Levy a question or let Levy ask a question, um, the the reality is that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have an understanding or at least somewhat of a friendship. And so they're sort of splitting the vote. Buddha Judge is kind of straddling the Bernie and the the Biden Bloomberg camp, and then Biden and and Bloomberg really are pulling sort of more towards the centrist moderate camp. But once they go into South Carolina, that's going to really tell us uh, who's who's got the strength or not. It's the first bigger primary. New Hampshire is the the only primary that we've had so far where it's an open election. We've had a lot of caucuses, which is sort of a weird doesn't really tell us much. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan of the caucus system because it doesn't tell us a lot. A but, lot of people are saying that the caucuses are done after what happened. Really? I Yeah, I, it's enough already. But Levy, you had a question. What did you want to ask? 
Um, I was just wondering if Hillary has missed her chance at joining the election because I heard a lot of little buzz around people thinking that maybe she was letting them duel it out and she's going to step in. Yeah, so I I saw uh, an an, uh, an article in the Bulwark, which is supposed to be a somewhat educated publication, say, you know, Mitt Romney and Bloomberg should have a unity ticket and Mitt Romney should get in the race and run and you know people talk about Hillary Clinton but the reality is that ballot access is cemented and set months and months in advance and so that's why Michael Bloomberg hasn't participated has he chosen not to participate in states thus far or has he not been able to get on the ballot Reinhold because he started so late I think because he started so late he missed some deadlines on those first few states uh i know he's geared up and on the ballot for most of super tuesday because that's where he's really wanting to focus his time i don't think it's going to do him any good but he's there and as far as hillary goes i don't think she can really get on the ballots for votes she could get write-ins but i don't think that's going to cut it but the the only chance she really has is that a brokered convention everything goes out the window after that first row first round of voting right so the second round of voting, superdelegates get in there and they can make a vote. And if somebody there can make the case, they can get thrown on there and become out of the out of it with the nomination. I I really don't see that happening. The uh, there's actually a um, a betting site for nomination. Um, you know what what the uh, odds are for certain candidates, and actually Clinton's fifth on the list at three point four. Chance yeah, Michelle Obama's always on there. It. So, Levy, the reality is that you've got to print all the ballots. You know, I I am I use a printed ballot. So, to get on the ballot for the May primary here, I think the deadline is sometime in January. So, okay. if Hillary wanted to run in Indiana, for instance, she would have had to decided by January twenty first or fifteenth or whatever it was. Um, and so, you you have to make that decision almost a year, like late twenty eighteen. If you're going to really run. And so she has missed her chance to be on the ballots. But as Reinhold said, once you get to the convention, you go into the convention and Reinhold, correct me if I'm, I get any of this incorrectly, but you go into a convention and everybody has to vote with who they're pledged. So here in Indiana, the person who wins the Indiana primary, let's say it's, uh, you know, in 2016, it was Donald Trump. So Ted Cruz it was zero it was winner take all for the delegates so 16 delegates went to donald trump um in some states it's a percentage so you know 20 delegates will go to donald trump and five delegates went to ted cruz and so everybody's going to go in with these pledged delegates which again the pledged delegate is uh 3979 and you need 1357 um excuse me the first candidate to get 1991 delegates wins the nomination uh so you get those pledged delegates yes go ahead what what is a pledge delegate okay so if bernie sanders wins your state he gets those delegates so Mm -hmm. every state has their own set amount of delegates indiana has 16 for instance and it's based on congressional or it, it, I, I, the, the parties themselves set how each state is determining how many delegates go to a candidate. Does that make sense? Okay. So I don't, the, uh, so for instance, on, let me go back to Iowa, 155 delegates have been racked up in these first four primaries. So Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, that's 144 delegates. Bernie Sanders has won three of those, so he got all those delegates. Mm-hmm. So it's like the Electoral College, essentially. Okay. So, so each state, you're awarded a point or a set of points. And so when you and go... Go ahead. He didn't get all the delegates either. They were split. Right. So you, had to get, you have to get 15% of the, of the vote in order to qualify for delegates, and then the delegates are split out from the people who get that. Right. So I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like in Iowa, for instance, Pete Buttigieg, I think, won Iowa, so he got 30 delegates. Bernie Sanders came in a close second, so he got like 28 delegates. Then Biden got like 10 delegates. And so Actually, you, Iowa, I think Klobuchar got 
delegates instead. So, okay. I mean, it's like I said, there's like five people with delegates right now. Right. It's a lot of math, which is why a lot of people go to 538 or the New York Times website because they have running tallies of all these delegates. And that's why Super Tuesday is so important because all these states, there's a thousand delegates that are up on that Super Tuesday. And that can determine. So, like, it can really. Bloomberg could come in and, and walk out with 800 delegates when he had zero going into it. And, and so he all of a sudden is the front runner because the primaries don't select the, the candidates. The conventions actually select the candidates. The, the primary system – so somewhere in the 20th century, the parties had too much power. And so if you think about like all those old conventions like – Going into the race for the presidential uh, Republican presidential race, and when Abraham Lincoln won, he was a nobody. Nobody knew who he was, and he walked out with the nomination because the, he made so many deals with party insiders across the country, and he he basically corrupted his way to the nomination. And, and people just got tired of that con- that concept of the machine of the parties, the political parties in a state and the country running everything. And they wanted to return that power back to people. And so now the, the consequence of that is that congressmen have to raise a, an enormous amount of money individually instead of the parties raising money. Um, but, but the parties still reside – they still have the power to select who the candidate is. But they defer to the people through the primary and caucus systems. Is that clear? Yes, I'm tracking. Okay. This is, this is very helpful. Thank you. All right, good. And so – the first round of voting at the convention is the pledge delegates. So everybody in Indiana, all 16 delegates go to the, the convention and they have to vote for who their voters in their state selected. So if Bernie wins, all 16 of those delegates, they all have to vote for Bernie Sanders on that first ballot. The second ballot, if there's not a clear winner on that first ballot, those 16 delegates can vote for whomever they want. So Hillary, Michelle Obama, Oprah could walk in there and go, second ballot, vote for me. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's Oprah as the nominee because the party has selected somebody different because there wasn't a clear first ballot winner. And it's even worse okay, than that. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually uh, – so in 2016, you might have heard something called – I don't know if you might have heard about this, but there was something called a superdelegate. And that's how Hillary won was that she won all, a lot of the superdelegates while Bernie was racking up regular delegates. So that caused a big stir in the party. So they made a, they made a rule change. So the rule change now is that on the first ballot, only the delegates get to vote. But if the, if there's not a, uh, a nominee chosen on that first ballot, it goes to second ballot. The superdelegates then get to vote as well. And the superdelegates are made up of party power people, insiders. Like, uh, like we said, DNC members, Democratic members of Congress, Democratic governors, and party leaders. Those 771 people are the people who hold powerful positions within the party, a.k.a. the establishment, a.k.a. if Bernie doesn't get selected by those people, they're going to be pissed. So, yeah, it's, it's, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Because... Um, there could be a, a case made where Bernie kind of almost wins the nomination, but then goes completely off the rails between that point and the convention, right? To where everybody just decides that no, they need to go with someone else. I mean, right. it, it, it there's a whole lot of different ways that it's going to play out. The only way to ensure that he wins the nomination is for him to get 50% of the delegates right up front. That's the only way he can make sure of it. Uh, there's, and, and if you, you watched last debate, uh, the question came up was, should the nominee be the person who comes in with the most votes? And everybody's trying to say, yeah, because they know that they're going to put themselves in a bit of a hypocritical mode by saying no, if they are also against the electoral college. Right. <clears throat> so it kind of puts them in a pickle. But uh, I think Warren was the only one who said, well, you know, we need to let it play out because she's trying to with now what Warren is trying to do. She's trying to make the case for herself that she's the unity candidate. Right. Like she's the second choice of everybody. So if you get to a broker convention, the second choice of everybody has a much better chance of winning the nomination than, than the, the, the front runners because there's so much 
uh, animosity between them probably. So, so people I'll are going to switch from one to the other. So I'll give you an example, basically. In Iowa, in the caucus system, everybody goes in and they they line up and they sit in the seats of their first choice. All right. And so everybody, you have to get 15% of the people in the room in those seats for the candidate to move on to the second round. Well, the people who drop off, they go to their second choice. And everybody's second choice in Iowa is Pete Buttigieg because he's sort of radical, but he's sort of normal. And so Pete Buttigieg was everybody's second candidate. So right now what's happening in the race for the Democratic nomination is everybody's competing to be everybody's second choice in case there's some sort of – and they're all running for what's called the unity candidate ticket where I'm going to be the one that unites the party. I can bring the Sanders people in. I can bring the centrist Hillary people in. I'm the one that can speak to every aspect of the party because the Democratic Party is different than the Republican Party. The Republican Party is very top-down, at least it used to be. It used to be very top-down, ideological. We're conservatives. We love Ronald Reagan. We love Jesus. And that we want to select the candidate who loves Ronald Reagan and Jesus the most. And the Democratic Party is made up of a coalition of different groups of people. The Hispanic group, the, the black vote, the, the union workers, the various Democratic uh, – they, they're, they're a very coalition-based party compared to the Republican Party. And that is um, – that is why everybody wants to be kind of the unity candidate because I'm the one that's going to be able to unite the party. But the reality is who's going to be able to raise the most money is probably the most important question, and that's Bloomberg. Because the problem for Bernie Sanders is Bernie refuses to take big money from corporate donations, and Donald Trump is basically fleecing anybody and everybody he can. He has a ton of small donors because he has a cult, and then he has a ton of big donors because he's the president and he's a Republican. And he he makes regulations. And Bernie Sanders, can he compete financially like Joe Biden or Bl- Michael Bloomberg could? Probably not. So uh, so hopefully that kind of uh, – we, we started – we ended way from where the beginning of your question was, but that was really a good question because it, I think it really helps clear up exactly what the process looks like. Levy? Yes, thank you. <laughs> It's good. Right. <laughs> I understand well, more. Well, if you want to know how bad it's getting right now with the the fighting that's going on, like a lot, I don't know if anybody really understands this, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. But we're to the point now where people are starting to call Elizabeth Warren a moderate. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, what? Where are you coming from with this? It's it's uh, uh, it's just interesting to see how people are trying to change all kinds of normal perceptions about these candidates. Yeah. All of a sudden uh, Bernie Sanders is the, the, the norm of the party when the guy was so radical that he's an independent. He's like, I made this point in the swamp. You're looking at the possibility of Donald Trump, who was a Democrat six years ago, running against a guy who is either an independent in, in Vermont or Michael Bloomberg, who was a Republican mayor as his opposition or Lincoln Chafee, who has been all of them, if he's the libertarian nominee. So it's, it's wild times. Indeed, political parties are just empty vessels. It's all about political party. It has nothing to do with ideology. Um, so power. it's all about power. So uh, I, I want to end quickly because I want to watch the debate. It starts at eight o'clock, but uh, so, I mean, everything can change tomorrow depending on how, Everybody thought Bloomberg was rock solid because of all this money, and then the debate kind of changed that perception. So we'll see what happens tonight. Um, but let's give – and Levy, at the end of the show, we give uh, time for people to give final thoughts, anything they might have missed, any self-promotion that you'd like. Um, so I'm going to let Reinhold go first to show you how it's done, uh, the, okay. the wizened Yoda of the We Are Libertarians network. Uh, Reinhold, go ahead. Final thoughts. Uh, just one thing about uh, uh, Bloomberg that really has hurt his chances on securing the nomination is that he's made it clear that he's spending his money no matter what happens. So yeah. if he doesn't get the nomination, he's still spending to defeat Trump all the way up to the election day. So the biggest selling point he had, hey, we need to get him in because of the money, is out the window. So yeah, now but- it's his personality and what he says, and it's not working, I don't think. Once 
once the initial ad buy comes out and everybody got, okay, got excited about it. And he is going after Trump and tweeting some things and great. He's the great thing about, about what he's done is he's put together some really powerful organizational uh, staff that can be harnessed and used going through the election. Right. But how many so, times Reinhold have we heard a libertarian party presidential candidate come in and say, if I'm your nominee, I'll, I'll give you all these resources. I'll do all this stuff. You know, and then if I don't win the nomination, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to fight for your cause, and then they disappear. Like, uh, I think they're being sold a bill of but, goods. But there's a reason. But there's a reason why it's different because they have power and we don't. They have power, right. so they know that they're going to get rewarded at the end of it. Whereas on the libertarian side, they're not going to come out with much of anything. So yeah. there's there's a benefit for them to do that. Plus, there's a there's a genuine hatred for Trump by Bloomberg that I think transcends. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of yeah. actual logical thinking that he might be having. He just wants to pound and pound and, and take him down. So I think you're going to see him gear up a, a machine that's going to try to take on Trump and no matter who the candidate is and, and just push through with that all the way through and spend as much money as he needs to to do it. Levy, final thoughts? I feel like I'm a little sponge soaking up all this knowledge, so I don't have um, a whole lot of final thoughts. But I'm thinking I may tune into my first debate. I think I should. You should. That would be pretty fun. Okay, I'd I'm going to do it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, and maybe we could even uh, tomorrow or at some point in the next few days jump on one, and then three of us kind of give our thoughts. If we, if we have time, our, we'll give our THOTs. But yes, Levy, that's the point. That's why I want you here. That's why this was a great episode, because Reinhold and I can talk over people's heads. I know we do it, and I need somebody to go, hey, I have no idea what a delegate is. What are you talking about? (laughs) So (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what what you did great. So, um, all right. Our best to Casey. Thank you, Levy, for joining us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is fun. All right. Well, we'll do it again, and Reinhold, thank you. Not a problem. All right. Glad to be here. And the listener, thank you. I want to thank Sam Schultz for the great show notes. I would be remiss if I did not say that to him. Uh, so thank you to him. Thank you to all of our patrons. And thank you to all of our listeners. We really do appreciate you giving us your time and attention. And hopefully you learned something. If you did, please share it. I will reshare you on uh, my social, on our social. And uh, we, I really have seen several more people start to share our stuff. If you've made it to the end of the episode, you're a super fan. And we need you. That's how I met Levy. Levy, you shared the podcast on Twitter. I did, and we became best friends because of it. We legit have become best friends because yes. of it. And so I can't promise that for everybody, but uh, <laughs> it just takes one share for you to become best friends with a podcast host. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>